Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 1st of February 2009, entitled All Things Reconciled, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 23. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Taken from the book of Colossians chapter 1, I invite you to turn there with me. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 23. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word beginning in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, and it is as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Father, I do thank You, Lord, from the depths of my heart, first of all, for that salvation, for that reconciliation that we have just read about here in Your Word. Father, thank You that we can be part of Your family, that we can be called Your child, not because of anything that we've done or deserved, but solely by Your wonderful, glorious grace. Father, we thank You also that we have Your Word to read here this morning. Lord, that you've preserved it and kept it for us through the centuries. Father, that we have your Spirit that lives and dwells within us to give us understanding of that which we read. But now, Father, 
as we enter this time of the service when your word is to be preached, we pray, Lord, that you would touch your servant, again, not because of anything that any of us deserve, but because we all stand in great need here this morning. Father, we pray for your anointing, for your touch, that you would speak to each and every heart here that which is needed. You know every individual. You know every need. And Father, we pray that through your word today that those needs would be met. Help us, Lord, this day, this special day that we set aside to come around the Lord's table to remember what he has done and accomplished for us at Calvary. May it be a special time of blessing for all that are present. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, if you noticed in your bulletin this morning, the title of our sermon is All Things Reconciled. And if you notice further in the evening service that you see All Things Reconciled Part 2. And I'm not sure if it's going to go to Part 3 or Part 4 because this was one of those interesting sermons that the Lord laid upon my heart, the verse that you have seen on the screen, about the reconciliation of all things unto the Lord. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So it is from that verse that we take the title of our message this morning, All Things Reconciled. But of course, in leading up to that verse, I started trying to back up and say, okay, where do we go? And, and the truth is, I ended up all the way back to verse 1, and I couldn't figure anything to leave out. So I've got a very, very long introduction to this sermon before we get to verse 20 down there. But as we look at this, it is things that should gladden the heart of every child of God. As we are reminded of what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today in this service and do not know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then I pray also that as we look into God's Word this morning that you can come to recognize, maybe for the first time, maybe you've seen it before, maybe you've turned away from it before, but come to recognize your need for Christ and what can take place in your life if you'll put your faith and trust in Him. Of course, the Apostle Paul is writing this, we know in verse 1, on behalf of him and Timothy. And of course, he, we know that he's writing under the inspiration of God Himself. But I want you to notice and just kind of hang on to it back in the back of your mind somewhere there in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of of God and Timotheus, our brother. He's writing this because it was God's will that he give these words, yes, to the church at Colossae, to the Colossians themselves that made up that body of Christ there, but also to you and I this morning, that these words be preserved in the Holy Scriptures and that you and I today could look there and gain from them what God has for us. Remember, it was here, Paul and Timothy writing together, but this same Paul, when writing to Timothy, was the one that said to him, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Today we have these words before us, by the will of God and under the inspiration of God, that He might work in our hearts today. Now, first of all, as we, as we look here, a good question to always ask ourselves, well, who was this being written to? And as we look here, we see that in verse 2, He declares precisely who the book is being written to. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the saints, to the brethren, 
that make up the church in Colossae. And he goes on in these next few verses, if you would, verses 3 through 8, to expound upon that further in who they are and this bond that is between them and why that he has such love and such great concern for them. He tells us in verse 3, For we give thanks to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. These two preachers, Paul and Timothy, they're giving thanks to God and they're praying for these people that they're writing to. When did Paul begin feeling this affinity with this people? When did this relationship between them, the fact that he would begin to express thanks for these people and he would begin to offer up prayers to God for them, well, he tells us in verse 4, since, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all saints. Paul says, we've been giving thanks to God for you and we've been praying for you ever since hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ever since hearing of the love that you have for all saints, he's talking about all those that are truly your brothers and sisters in Christ. What is he so thankful for with these people? Well, he tells us, verse 5 says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. What is he thankful for? For the hope that is laid up for them in heaven. Not in this world, but a hope that is laid up for them, that is preserved, that is awaiting them in heaven where Jesus Christ Himself is at. Why is He so confident about this, this hope that He says that is, that is laid up for them? How did they get this hope anyway that they could have such confidence in? For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof, notice He says, ye heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel because they had first of all heard. They had heard the truth of the gospel that had been brought unto them. Although he says that it was not a gospel that it was exclusively for them any more than it is exclusively for any select group of people today but he says it was for all the world. It was meant and is meant for all the world to hear the truth of the gospel. The gospel. He says here, when it is heard, notice he says in verse 6, which is come unto you and it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. The gospel when it is heard. You know, I, I could get up here this morning and I, I could find all kinds of emotional sob stories and, and there's a place for good illustrations and, and I certainly use them in my own preaching many times, but I'm saying I could tell you lots of stories that would literally wring your heart out. But none of those stories would save you. Those stories, just as Christ Himself used the parables and stories and speaking to people to express, to give them a better understanding of a spiritual truth. It is the gospel and the gospel alone that can bring forth the fruit of salvation. Now, you see, it's got to be heard. The gospel must be heard before it's possible for it to, to bring forth fruit. Just because, re remember this, just because that it is meant for all the world to hear. Just because it was sufficient. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, His sacrifice was sufficient. But the truth is, is that even though that all happened, it cannot bring forth fruit in anyone's life until 
they first hear it. It brought forth fruit in them because they heard it. But what else does it say there? As it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. They first had to hear it. But then they had to know the grace of God in truth. We're all familiar. The Word of God says, Faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. The Bible goes on to, to ask us very specifically, how are they going to hear without a preacher, without somebody to proclaim that truth to them? You see, it's meant for all to hear it. But only those that know it, those that believe it, those that act upon it will experience the grace of God in truth. It's for all to hear, but all that hear it won't come to experience God's grace. Some will reject it. Some will know it. We find that the Scriptures again declare to us as we saw many times, for by grace are ye saved through what? Through faith. For grace, God's grace. To know that grace must come through faith. Faith is the only avenue, the only avenue to God's grace. You see, there is no other way except the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only by our faith in Him and His finished work that we can experience and know God's grace in our lives. God's grace is real no matter what we do. God's grace is real whether you believe it or whether you don't believe it. But for you to get to it, for you to experience that grace, you must go by way of faith. You see, the gospel itself is simply the good news of the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. It is precisely His death, His burial, His resurrection, the work that it took that you, that me, that any other human being must have in order to be saved. We find that you've heard the truth of the gospel. You've heard the truth. Everybody here this morning cannot stand before God one day and say, I never heard the gospel. Well, the truth is all of us as sinners requires the finished work of Jesus Christ. We find that once it's heard, you see, it's all of our responsibilities to make sure that all hear. But it's only your responsibility to act upon what you hear, to believe it, to know it, that you might experience the grace of God. Religion won't do it. Just knowing all the facts won't do it. Just changing your life won't do it. The truth is there's only one thing that will do the work in your life, and that's God's grace that can do that work. And the only way you can experience that work of grace in your life is through your faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. But we find that these here, they had heard the truth of the gospel, and they knew the grace of God. When they heard it, they had acted upon it, and it was a reality in their life. How did they hear it? Very simple. Verse 7 and 8 says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your, for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Many people don't really feel comfortable or want to be in a church that causes them to examine themselves by the truths that are preached and taught. 
Many would prefer to go along to church on Sunday and hear something that would just simply make them feel better about themselves. Well, most of us, there's a point in a time when we like to feel better, but I'll be quite honest with you. <laughs> you've made a whole lot farther somewhere up the ladder than I have if you've got a lot to feel good about yourself. What I want you this morning is to feel better than you've ever felt in your life about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to grow. That's the only way that our life is going to be challenged is by Him. I don't want you to pat me on the back and tell me what a good person that I am. I know that I'm not. But I want to see more and more and more of Him. It's Him that we celebrate as we come around the Lord's table this morning. It's He that finished the work and is the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church at Colossae. He's writing to a people and he has an affinity with them and he has a bond of love with them because of who they are. They had heard the message through a faithful minister of Christ. It's believed that probably Epaphras was the one that was the founder of the church here in Colossae and he had been faithful in preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously this church was those that had heard and knew that truth that had been being preached there. You know, that would be my simple desire today. I really, I don't mean this in an unkind way. I really don't care if you think I'm as eloquent in my speech as someone else is. If I say it in as nice a way as someone else might say it. But I'm very concerned today that if you sit under the sound of the preaching of the Word of God, that you hear and know who Jesus Christ is and that you need Him in your life and that if you have Him in your life, you have everything that you need to be able to stand about against whatever this world brings against you. They had heard from a faithful minister of Christ, but you know, it's not just a preacher. In this case, it was their pastor. But... It's not just the preacher that ought to be putting forth that truth that others can hear it. That's a great responsibility that each and every one of us have here today. So the Apostle Paul, on behalf of himself and Timothy, was writing to a people who through, first of all, hearing and by acting, knowing the grace of God in truth. Knowing God's saving grace. And they were now a group of genuinely born-again Christians that were bound together because they were one family in the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that they were also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We find that that was his last words there in verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras had not only given them the gospel, but then he had told Paul and Timothy about the change that had taken place in these people's lives, about the love that they had, which was a love in the Spirit, capital S, you'll notice in your Bible, the Holy Spirit. Oh, God can, uh, God can help us to love people we thought we'd never be able to love. God can give us a genuine, heartfelt love for all of those around us. We find that as true brothers and sisters in Christ, there was a bond between Paul and Timothy and these people, even though that they weren't together, there was a great distance between them. Even though that, as far as we know, we don't know if any of them had ever even met face to face but we find that he greatly cared for them you know that's one of the visible fruits of true saving grace working in our lives that we love the brethren that we love being with the brethren you know there should be a, a desire in our hearts I mean, even as we come together and fellowship and church as we do here today, we come for a number of reasons. 
It is the Lord's day. He deserves to be glorified and magnified. I hope you came to worship Him. But as we come together to worship Him, there is a bond of fellowship between us as a family, as true believers. And yes, we come to gain that God would speak to our hearts through His Word, that our lives might be changed, that, you know, even in, in some small way, that something may happen in our lives today, that we can be more like Christ than we were yesterday, than we were when we met last Sunday, that there is con this continual spiritual growth that we're experiencing in our lives because of their shared relationship in Christ. Note that Paul begins in verse 9 with these words, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Again, real fruit. There's something that is genuine about that. But notice also as a result of that, of that bond of love that he goes on in verses 9 through 11, he has declared, if you would, I've simply used deeds, if that helps you remember it, fine. We see, first of all, the declaration, the the declaration of what it is that has changed their lives in hearing and knowing the gospel of truth. And we find secondly here that there is a desire that he expresses that comes from his heart. Paul and Timothy had some real desires for this group of people that they've been praying for. First of all, he says that he wants them to know God's will. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. To know God's will. To be filled with the knowledge of His will. You know, the word knowledge here in the original, it, it carries a preposition with it that actually just intensifies its meaning all the more. In other words, it underlines it, it bold prints it, it does all these things to make sure that we don't miss the fact that this isn't just some mere emotion, some feeling that we have that is acted upon, but it's a deep, thorough, Knowledge, knowing, understand, knowing absolutely God's will. You know, I have so many times people say, how do I know God's will? Well, you're only going to know God's will when you spend time with God. This kind of knowing can only come from God Himself. Man cannot give it to you. The church can't give it to you. It's the knowledge of His will, knowing His will, that is revealed and confirmed through the Word of God. Many think they know God's will because some man or some woman has come up to them and said, God wants you to do this because God has shown me that He wants this in your life. Well, praise God. If God, you know, lets you know something about me, then yeah, I, I appreciate you telling me. But folks, we can't take the Word of man. This is a knowledge of God's will. And that knowledge can only come from God. And God communicates to us through His Word. This is where you will know and find God. Too many people, they don't want to spend the time in God's Word. And then they wonder why it's so difficult to know God's will. That's where the knowledge of God's will will come from. He says, notice that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. But he goes on, he says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, spiritual is a key word there. 
Matter of fact, this word spiritual actually is a, a modifier in your Bibles for both the wisdom and the understanding. And this phrase, of course, is, is tied right back. It's in, the, it's in the same breath with knowing the knowledge of His will. You see, the kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that He's speaking of here, this spiritual wisdom comes only from both acquiring but you know have you ever acquired something in your life that you've got it that it belongs to you but once you got it you didn't know what to do with it <laughs> I've had things in my life before that not only once I got them I didn't know what to do with them some things I got I wish I hadn't got in the first place but the truth that he's trying to get across to us here is both the acquiring if you would and the organizing of God's principles Look just a couple pages over in your Bible in Colossians chapter 3. And in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Let it take up residence. Let it have a, a, a permanent place to stay there, he says, richly in all wisdom. And there ought to be joy. We see the, then the, the helping of one another. That's got to come from God. We can only admonish one another in a way that's going to be of benefit when the knowledge of God is within us. You see, the understanding to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. The wisdom, if you would, is, is, is getting the information, the principles of God, and, and organizing them in a way that we can then understanding. Understanding is being able to comprehend, to know what you've got, <laughs> and to be able to put them to work to apply them in your daily lives. You see, a whole lot of facts, a whole lot of wisdom, a whole lot of knowledge is not going to have any great effect on you if there's no spiritual understanding in how to use it. So we acquire the spiritual wisdom that can only come from God, that comes from God's Word. And through spiritual understanding we can only come from the Holy Spirit by the way <laughs> we can use and apply those principles in everything that we do in every area of our life this is what is being prayed for these believers that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that they would have wisdom and spiritual understanding you know what God wants you to do. You know His will because He's told you. You have God's wisdom that can only come from Him through His Word. But then through the Holy Spirit, we can have spiritual understanding of that and be able to use it. You know, God's Word is not meant just to be memorized and known. It's good to memorize it and know it. But if we don't use it, if we don't put it to work in our lives, it accomplishes very little. Notice that he says here in verse 10, and we're going to stop off there until tonight, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk worthy of the Lord. It's actually a phrase, a principle that is taught all through the New Testament. The importance of our walk. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we ought to be living in a way that 
is honoring to Christ that is consistent with the person Christ whose name that we are taking, with whom that we are identifying ourselves when we say that we are Christians. You see, the, according to God's Word, we're called to be a separated people. Come out from amongst them and be ye separate. You know, many times we don't like to be separated from the world. We want to feel as comfortable as we possibly can. In all that they're doing, amidst all of their sin, oh, well, I'm not taking part in it. We're called to be a separated people. We're called by God to be a peculiar people. Again, a people that has been set aside. That's what sanctification is all about. We're called in God's Word to be a holy people. You see, is our walk one that really is designed to please Him or to please our flesh? We want these things. Is our life truly pleasing to Christ today? You know, there was a time, and I know that they got used very flippantly, and for some that they were used in the wrong ways, but there was a time when a lot of people were wearing these little bracelets. They had the WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? Well, the truth is, Christian, whether you're wearing a bracelet or anything else, everything that we do, that's a good question to ask ourselves. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do with this decision that I've got to make? See, many times we'll just make our decisions based upon what seems to be best for me rather than what God wants to do. Remember, all this is coming behind knowing, being filled with the knowledge of God's will. What does God want for my life? Of having spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, something that, that can't come from the flesh, that can only come from God through His Word by the power of His Spirit. And of course, that moves right on over to our walk, our life, our everyday life, walking worthy of our Lord, living a life that pleases Him rather than ourselves. Is our walk one that pleases Him? We find that in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what the Word of God says, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, Paul writing here again, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation of the calling, if you would, wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Why do you think the devil gets such great joy out of dividing, of breaking that oneness, that unity between us, even in a single local church? let alone in the whole body of Christ. Notice in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, only let your conversation, literally your conduct if you would, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. 
which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in him and now here to be in me. I would be a pretty foolish, besides being untruthful, <laughs> minister, if I got up here and said that, boy, if you just invite Jesus in, your life's going to be great from here on out because you won't have any problems, any troubles, any difficulties. But God's Word says, they that live godly shall suffer persecution. <laughs> We find here that the Paul in writing to the Philippians is going to great length that our conversation, that our conduct should be that which becometh the gospel. And you know, sometimes the real test of that is going to be in the bad times. How do we act? How do we respond when the things get difficult? And really, these things are kind of tied together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor not in the lust of concupiscence, of just free living, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness." You see here, once again, he's tying together knowing God's will for my life. And when I know what God wants of my life, having spiritual wisdom and understanding God's principles applied to my life, that it affects my walk, that I'm walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whose name that I proclaim, that my life would please Him, that I'm more concerned in pleasing Him than in pleasing me. And you see, that's what I'd like to leave you this morning as we look at the declaration that the Apostle Paul makes here concerning those in this church. Church, as we prepare ourselves now to come around the Lord's table to take of the bread and to drink of the cup. You see, as we come around this table, the Bible speaks again of coming to this table in a worthy manner. Now, the truth is, is not because that we as a church think that somehow we have arrived, that we're the perfect lot and the only perfect lot around but as a body, as a fellowship, we come around this table as one to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I would ask you first of all not to even think of taking of this bread and drinking of this cup. As a matter of fact, as we come around this table this morning, 
if you're here and you are a believer that is walking afar off, that has, for whatever reason, that you're living a life that's not pleasing to Him, then I would encourage you that before we take of this bread and drink of this cup, that you examine yourself. And that if there is something in your life that needs to be dealt with, that you honestly deal with it now. And I would say that, Christians, as we come around this table, as one, as a body of Bethel Free Baptist Church this morning, if you're here and you're a visitor, and maybe you're not a member of our church, but you do know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have followed the Lord in believer's baptism as your first step of obedience in following Him. And though you're not part of this body, that you're maybe part of another body of like faith, that you would agree to the fundamentals of our statement of faith that we put forth, then we invite you to join with us as one. If you disagree on those things, we don't love you any less. And we're not saying that we are better than you. It's just that as a body, we're coming together as one around this table. But the Bible teaches each and every one of us, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. This is not just some religious ceremony that we are going through for the sake of it this morning. It is one of two ceremonies that the Lord gives us that we call ordinances in our church. That the church has been asked to carry on until our Lord comes back for us. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion, and that which we'll be practicing next Sunday evening, that of baptism. They are to picture something. They are to declare something. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are to Literally, declare His death until He comes through this table. One day, we won't need to remember Him anymore because of Him being away from us. Remember, when Jesus Christ instituted this table, He called His closest apostles together in that upper room. And they were there to celebrate the Passover. But He was the final Passover, praise God. We weren't going to need to celebrate the Passover anymore as had been done in the Old Testament. And he called them together and he instituted the Lord's table. This do in remembrance of me, he says, because he was going to be our last Passover. We come to remember him. It should be a very special time in a Christian's life, but it won't have any specialness if you do it flippantly, if you take it lightly. You see, you don't come face to face with Jesus Christ and not take a look at yourself. He wants close fellowship. And he said here, if there's anything that's, that's dividing that, anything that's between us, anything that ought not to be there, deal with it now. Because the object is that we can be closer, that we can know that sweetness. So at this moment in time, we're going to bow our heads and in the quietness of the moment, I ask you simply, I know that you're not perfect, but I know one who is. And our worthiness is in Him. I'm asking you if there's something in your life right now, will you give it to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you turn it over to Him? Will you be able to come to this table this morning and truly enjoy the fellowship that is one body? that we have with our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we bow our heads, as I ask you to pray silently, I will pray a prayer, 
But my prayer is not what you need. Father, you know the hearts of each one here this morning. Father, this that we've looked at in your word this morning, it's exciting to look back and to realize what it was. What it was that gave this bond between this church and, Lord, this preacher and this apostle. And that bond came through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by knowing the truth of your grace in their lives. And Lord, as we come around this table this morning, Lord, we seek that kind of bond one with another. Lord, we seek that kind of bond with you. As we're reminded of the great work of grace that you've done in our lives. And that our bond is solely just as theirs because of what Jesus Christ finished for us at Calvary. We find, Lord, that as we come around this table this morning, Lord, we realize that we are in our flesh. We are weak people. We fail you miserably. But we ask your forgiveness. I pray that each one here today will seek that forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ. I pray that if there are those in our midst that have never truly been saved, that have never truly been born again, that as we take of this bread and cup this morning, that, Lord, as we receive of it, that it will be a testimony to them, that it will declare to them the one in whom all of our hope lies. Lord, may you bless. May this be a time of sweet, sweet fellowship as we join our hearts together and with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.